200 level, episode 237. Mike Carpenter in the basement on a windy and warm Wednesday evening. And it was signing day. Now, I'm not going to pretend, as you well know, to be an expert on football recruiting. And I can't really tell you a whole lot about these individual guys in this class. But I will speak to the macro part of it, which is kind of what the 200 level is. It's a macro podcast especially when it comes to football recruiting. And it's never really been my forte. If I think about it, there were names back in the day, like, uh, I don't know if you recall him, Matt DeLugalecki. He was a quarterback out of California, I think, in the early 2000s. That was maybe going to be the replacement for Kurt Kittner. There are names few and far between that I remember. Or maybe if I go back to, was it Derek McPherson, one of Ron Zook's first five-star recruits? Him and Jody Ellis, who I think got kicked off the team after... Something happened, uh, some breaking and entering thing. I, I think that's what happened. I don't want to be slanderous here. So there are the occasional names that I do recall. But for the most part, this is not so much about any individual in this recruiting class for Brett Bielema, but more with the overall upward trajectory of the program. And I think that we could agree that that's what today was part of, was an overall linear sort of upward trend, not exponential. It's not like today was a game changer that all of a sudden is going to turn this program around overnight, or we're going to have a bunch of immediate impact freshmen. In fact, we might not have a ton of immediate impact freshmen, but as I've said many times before on this podcast, you are in the right division. You're in the big 10 West and you have a chance as long as the division alignment stays like this. And there's no reason to think that they're going to change it. And this was none more evident than in the team rankings. And if I go to 24-7 sports, here are your top seven teams in the Big Ten. Ohio State, of course. Penn State, Michigan, Indiana, Michigan State, Iowa, Rutgers. How about Indiana? Fourth. So Tom Allen seems to have really had some momentum after last season. and, And this season didn't seem to hurt that. So good for him. Top seven teams are all Big Ten East. So there you go. You got that going for you. In the Big Ten West, which is basically 8 through 14, uh, well, let me let me make sure I get this right here, because Maryland is 8th, so that means that Iowa, excuse me, is the one Big Ten West team in the top seven. But rounding out 9 through 14 is Purdue, Minnesota, Illinois, Northwestern, Wisconsin at 13, and then Nebraska. And it is a small class. They will probably be halfway decent next year, because... You know, as as the scores indicated this year, they weren't far away from being an eight and four or even nine and three team. But that's where you are. You're eleventh in the Big Ten. It's not something you're gonna pop open champagne bottles for. But for the kinds of guys that Brett Bielema got, it does make you think, okay, well, they kind of know what they're doing. They they have a, a certain type that they're identifying. All twenty-two of these guys are three-star commits. So no two stars. You aren't really making a lot of reaches in this class. And there seems to be a particular emphasis on line play. So boring as that may sound, there is not a five-star Aurelius Ben or a five-star, was he a five-star? Richard Mendenhall in this class. This is not the return of the Zook era. But this is something that as we see Wisconsin sitting there, 13th out of 14, do we have any reason to believe that Wisconsin's still not going to be pretty good when these recruits are juniors and seniors? No. Because that's just what they are. They're Wisconsin. They get it done. Well, maybe we can do something similar down here. And when the best recruiting class in the Big Ten West is sixth out of 14, and that's Iowa, I like your chances. So it was a good day, I think, for Illinois football. And uh, as I look at next season and and the guys that you're going to have to replace, they've already hit the transfer portal a bit. They seem to be queuing in on line play. They got their quarterback in Tommy DeVito, which... 
I don't know. Maybe it works out. Uh, maybe he's a slight upgrade over Brandon Peters. I certainly hope so. Uh, though he has not really started, I don't think, a college football game since 2019. But he was a four-star kid in a very highly touted class. Though I did not realize this. When talking with Trevor and Isaac in a text thread, I didn't realize that Art Sitkowski was a highly touted quarterback. Legit. Or that he might have actually been a five-star recruit. I'd have to effort that to make sure it's actually true. But that is what we were talking about in the text thread. And yeah, these don't always pan out. But this is where you kind of lean on evaluation. And if there's one thing that you can lean on with Brett Bielema, he is experienced. He knows the kind of guy that worked at Wisconsin. I think that's basically what he's trying to do here. You know, he knows what works in the Big Ten West. So hopefully it translates. And while we may not see the dividends pay off right away, at the very least, this was one, not a disaster. And two, it has potential. And for year one, your first full recruiting class, I will 100% take that. All right, before we get too far into this, a reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So stay at home and let them deliver a piping hot calzone to your doorstep. Some of their favorites include the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. Those are our go-tos 15 years ago when they opened up and we were on campus. And uh, there's a reason these guys have been around for 15 years because it is delicious. And still, I think the best bang for your buck for food in Champaign-Urbana. That's dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. If you want a last-minute Christmas gift for the Illini fan in your life, go to Fourth and Kirby. It'll probably still get there in time. They are fully stocked and ready for the holiday season. Vintage-inspired Illini t-shirts, sweatshirts, and a new hoodie even, all at fourthandkirby.com. Rector Construction, online at R-E-C-T-O-R-Construction.com. For all your home exterior needs, these guys are expert craftsmen. There's great customer service. You might even talk to Isaac Ambrose when you call in, and you know he's a good guy. And these are also great citizens of Champaign-Urbana. They've been giving back to the community since they got started. So go online to Rector Construction. That's R-E-C-T-O-R-Construction.com for a free estimate today. Finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. He can be your guy too. Now, uh, we got a homeowners and auto bundle. It's just going over a year now. They make it very easy. It's State Farm prices, which is to say cheap, and the customer service is second to none. So go online to brianismyguy.com. Brian Hansen, your State Farm agent at brianismyguy.com. A lot of Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. And thank you to the listeners as we are about to close out yet another year in the 200 level. We started August of 2019. We're still here. We're still kicking. So thanks to the sponsors. Thanks to the listeners. And hey, if you get a chance, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps us as people try to find more Illini content. And boy, people want the Illini content. Now, um, with football, as I mentioned before, I, I'm not really going to get into the nitty gritty of these individual guys on this uh, or in this class, I should say. But as I look at the signing day list here, we have, uh, have let's see how many offensive linemen, one, two, three, four, five, six offensive linemen, including here are a couple highlights here. I know Hunter Wittenack, I believe out of Indiana, he's a three-star kid, 6'6", 315, already has the size. He was spoken highly of by Brett Bielema today. You also have Magnus Moeller. He is Danish, I think. He's from Europe, six foot nine, 300 pounds. I'll say that again, six foot nine, 300 pounds. Why the hell not? I mean, hopefully Bart Miller can work his magic. You can't teach six foot nine. That's 
rather ridiculous. Elsewhere in this class, I know that they've spoken very highly about Hank Beatty. He's a wide receiver out of Rochester. That was one of the guys that Bielema was really keying in on today. And maybe at that position, you could see an immediate impact. You need some impact guys at the wide receiver position. And I mean, Mikey Dudek had an impact his freshman year, right? In 2014. So why the hell not? Uh, Elsewhere we have, let's see here. Uh, what other names? Oh, Jordan Anderson is the running back out of Naperville who had a Joliet Catholic, I should say. He's from Naperville, and he had a monster high school season. Brett Bielema, one of the best quotes that he had today in his press conference was whenever he watched Jordan Anderson run, he felt bad for you know basically the opponent's parents that were in the stands seeing their kids get trucked by the six foot three running back. So if he's the thunder to the lightning of an Aiden Laurie, who is five foot eleven, he's a kid out of Gibson City, of course, then that would be a nice little duo. So you start to see the way that Prep Peelman is talking about these guys, exactly what he's looking for. Namely, okay, so let's take the running back example. He does like to counter, let's say, a Chase Brown with Josh McCray, and then in this case, a Jordan Anderson with someone like Aiden Laurie. And that Thunder Lightning combination, maybe that's something that we see in two or three years. You actually feel pretty good about the running back position going forward. With the offensive lineman, the size alone is what really excites you for that. Uh, With someone like Hank Beatty, who again, he was really heaping praise on this kid. You're looking for a wide receiver that is sure-handed, and you're also looking for someone that can really help out what is basically a pro-style offense here, where you need game breakers on occasion. Now, whether or not Hank Beatty's going to be doing that right away, I'm not sure. But if there was one thing we lacked this year, it was the ability of a wide receiver to go downfield. At least any wide receiver not named Deuce Span, apparently. So you would hope that something like that can open it up because the run game is really going to be the emphasis here. And when we see all the offensive linemen recruiting that was done in this class, that just really hammers home the point that this is trying, or should I should say an attempt, to make us basically Iowa or Wisconsin South. I'm all on board with that. That's why today seeing 11th out of 14 in the Big Ten is not at all discouraging. It's just kind of what I expected. And if anything, fits firmly in with what my expectations were for this first class for Brett Bielema. Also, you have Illinois, guys. And as I count them, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 of your 22 are from the state of Illinois. How much that matters to me? I don't know. Uh, you know, I, at the end of the day, I just want the best players, so the geography doesn't matter quite as much. But I think there is some importance here, especially on the heels of beating Northwestern the way that you did. And now you're trying to knock on the doors of, let's say, in Iowa or Wisconsin. Another big win this year would be Minnesota, right? And you see P.J. Fleck often does pretty well in the state of Illinois. In order to win the state fully over, you're going to have to win those games and really show some forward momentum, as I believe there was a linebacker, maybe three-star kid, or four-star kid, actually, who stayed with Iowa after being courted by Illinois. Name escapes me, but that's one example of someone that's probably going with the sure option, which is still Iowa. But if you keep knocking and keep picking up a key win here, a key win there against some of these better Big Ten West teams, just like you did at Minnesota this year, or just like you absolutely walloped Northwestern, that 10 out of 22, that number is only going to increase. And if that means you can get some of the more quality, occasionally four-star kid out of the state of Illinois, then you've done your job and you can lock down this state. I mean, hell, talk about optics, which is something I think Bielema has been very good at since he got here basically a year ago. They had a bunch of in-state alums at the Football Performance Center today, just kind of hanging out and and just trying to re-emphasize the fact that they are making the state of Illinois a priority. 
There were some other things they did today that I thought were really cool. They they did a video breakdown of these recruits. And, and when you listen to Brett Bielema, you understand that he is just kind of a football nerd. And it's actually kind of enjoyable to listen to him break some of these guys down. He's got personality to spare. You know, we know that after the last year. But then you hear him talk about these football players and what they do well and what he's excited about them. And as opposed to previous Illini coaches where – You know, occasionally like a Bill Cubit had a folksy appeal, but there weren't many times when he was talking about football that I was like, oh, wow, I feel like I might have learned something. That's not to say anything about his football acumen, uh, but I think what's really cool about Brett Bielema is that he's able to deliver a lot of these sort of micro football details in a way that is easily consumable for a layman like myself or many other fans. So I enjoyed watching little clips of that and kind of going through that press conference and and. It seemed to me, if you're just going off of body language, this is a coaching staff that feels very happy with what they got. And I'll take that for now because with a five and seven season and the quality wins you got and the overall feeling that they improved over the course of the year, unlike previous coaching staffs, these guys do get a little benefit of the doubt. And it's been a while since I've been able to give that to a coaching staff, but They've left me no choice. You know, they want a five, a respectable five and seven. And while there were moments of frustration, ultimately, we would probably all agree that they were better at the end of the year than they were at the beginning. And when's the last time you could say that about a line nine team? I suppose Lovey Smith in 2019. And that is certainly true. But then you ended the season with such a thud that it kind of evaporated momentum. That's why I think that Northwestern win was not one to sleep on because the way that you just absolutely kick their ass, like good Illinois teams tend to do against Northwestern. The the few good teams we get around here tend to kick Northwestern's butt. Uh, That was just such a a fine way to kind of put a period or really an exclamation point on a season that I think needed it. I don't think that win necessarily locked in any of these 22 guys. They seem to have been pretty safe commits from the get-go, but it would not have hurt. And also going forward into 2023, If you want to continue that in-state momentum, what better message to send? Not every Illinois kid could go to Northwestern anyways. We know the academic requirements. There is a certain kind of kid that they recruit. And yes, they all tend to annoy me. Uh, But at the end of the day, they are one of your competitors. And as I look at the Big Ten West and see that you actually find yourself firmly in the middle of it in terms of recruiting, then that bodes well for the recruiting battles that are yet to come against these Big Ten West teams. I don't need him beating Ryan Day or Jim Harbaugh, or James Franklin for recruits. Not very often you're going to play those teams. Other than next year, of course, when you play Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. No more Rutgers, so the schedule does get more difficult. And by the way, what about Rutgers getting the sixth recruiting class in the Big Ten? And like I said, Indiana getting fourth. Good for them. You know, no no beef beef with either of those programs and, and wish them well. And I don't know the next time we play either of them. So cool to see at least a few different names at the top of that Big Ten recruiting list. Will Illinois get there with Brett Bielema? I don't anticipate it, though. I'd have to go back to when he was at Wisconsin, and I don't know how often he was in the top half of the Big Ten back then either, though he tended to do okay. So benefit of the doubt, I will give it to them. Overall, a good day. Okay, so that was football, and not often we talk football in December, though I guess last December we certainly did because it was a year ago almost to the day, right? I'm trying to think. I mean, would Brett Bielema have been hired by this point last year? Whether or not he was, this was the period of change where you got rid of Lovey Smith and you brought these guys in. And if you were to ask me overall, how would you grade the first calendar year for Brett Bielema? I think you need to go solid B, if not B+. 
if we were to say A, that would have been making a bowl game. And that would have been maybe a little bit better recruiting class in terms of star ratings and all that. But overall, you do feel like there is a steady hand guiding the ship here. And whether or not that equates to six or seven wins next year when you have a tougher schedule and you've got some pretty major holes to fill on this roster, I'm not sure. But the long-term health of it, I, I feel more confident in thinking that Illinois can find their way to the middle of the Big Ten West in the next couple of years. Because essentially, they were already there last year. I mean, the way they played against most Big Ten West teams, they were already there, kind of firmly in the middle of the Big Ten West, better than Nebraska, I think. I mean, I know Nebraska was 3-9, and nine and their point differential was maybe a little bit better than Illinois. But at the end of the day, you had more wins than you had the head-to-head. So, yeah, I'll say Illinois is in a better place than Nebraska right now. I'll say they're in a better place than Northwestern. I would say where it gets a little bit muddy is Purdue and Minnesota. Those are really the teams that you want to reach, and I think you can in relatively short order. And then there's Iowa and Wisconsin doing their thing. I would love to think Wisconsin will eventually, please, for the love of God, fall back down to earth. Will they ever? I don't know. And I think the loss at the end of the year to Minnesota showed that that was a team that their record is more indicative of their schedule. Not very tough because they're in the Big Ten West. I do think that that might be more of an eight and four team going forward under Paul Christ than the ten and twos or eleven and ones. And Iowa, we saw them start this year six and zero or whatever, number two in the nation before they got smoked at home to Purdue. And they seem to be in this really good period for Kirk Ferentz. But what is really good for them? Nine and three or, or ten and two, I guess. That's really damn good. But do you feel as fearful of Iowa under Kirk Ferentz as you did, let's say? when Wisconsin was really rolling five or six years ago. Personally, I don't. So I love the opportunity here. And it's amazing that we're still having this conversation about the Big Ten West, the same conversation we were having back when Beckman was here and we were doing the J show on 93.5. And I kept harping on the fact that, my God, like make hay with this. You're in the Big Ten West. You're missing an opportunity to win some games. And, of course, they didn't take my advice on that, at least not well enough. But here you are still in the Big Ten West, and thank God for this alignment. You have really lucked out to not have to face a Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State on your schedule. Because in all likelihood, you're starting the season four losses under your belt already. At least for the next two or three years, that appears to be the case. Though with Illinois, you in fact beat Penn State. So, Hey, by the way, James Franklin, great recruiter. He, he got Manny Diaz from Miami as his defensive coordinator. Miami had a really, really bad defense this year. I hope that falls completely on its face. And not, not just because Penn State is annoying and, and James Franklin has this holier-than-thou pretentiousness with his... Uh, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if his glasses were an act. He seems like the kind that just wants to appear to be an intellectual, but really he's just kind of a doofus. And uh, maybe I shouldn't say that about someone in this time of Christmas and Yuletide, but he is quite annoying and quite aggravating. So Manny Diaz only makes an annoying and stupid football program more annoying and more stupid. And I'm actually kind of glad that they hired him. You go to Penn State yet again next year. Can you do it two times in a row? I'm not feeling great about it. I'm not. Though, wouldn't that be freaking hilarious? And not that I have any actual beef with Manny Diaz after the Jeff Thomas affair, when Jeff Thomas came up here and then he went back to Miami and Manny Diaz tweeted. It didn't really bother me to my core. But, you know, it would be funny. It would be a fun, full circle kind of thing. And any opportunity you get to beat Penn State, please take it because, that, that program doesn't honestly even deserve to be in existence at this point. And I will be happy as a clam if they can go 7-5 and five here on out 
and continually underachieve despite great recruiting classes. Because honestly, I think that's kind of what James Franklin's calling card is going to be. Now that Jim Harbaugh may have figured things out, and we know what Ohio State is, and now that Mel Tucker, I don't think he's going to go 10-2 and two every year, but I could see Mel T- Tucker going you know, 8-4 and four pretty consistently with his recruiting, which was very good, by the way then I don't really see Penn State being some national title threat or let alone Big Ten East threat. So may they stay firmly in the middle of that division. All right, that's an aside about Penn State. Want to talk some Illinois basketball. So I got to be honest, the last podcast was not my best work. The day after the Illinois-Arizona game, I frankly didn't know how to process it. And I think I was trying to find the positives in it because I had so much damn fun last Saturday. I really did. And as I think about it, my God, that crowd was electric. And it was just such a throwback to why that arena can be so tough for opposing teams. And not getting the win was less, uh, you know, less anger inducing and more just a bummer because that felt anticlimactic. All this buildup and, and these moments of pure exhilaration. And even in the second half, while you didn't play all that great, you still had a lead I think a two-point lead with five minutes to go, and you kept it within one possession, all within the last four-minute stretch, and, and then it just kind of petered out. So the anticlimactic end to it almost made it difficult for me to really wrap my head around what we had seen. My thoughts on this team, in reflection, have kind of come down to this. I think that this team will probably go 13-7, and seven, let's say, in the Big Ten. 13-7, and seven, and maybe 14-6. and six. I think given the fact that the Big Ten is not as good as I thought it was, I don't see much worse than 13-7. and That's a great record in the Big Ten. I think that's what they had two years ago. And that would have been good for like a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament, which we would have been happier then because we hadn't been in the tournament in a while. And of course, like a sixth seed in the tournament now would be somewhat disappointing. But that's kind of where you're at right now. I think 13-7 and without a marquee non-conference win, unless Notre Dame just goes red hot. And that will make it difficult to get the kind of seed that you might want in the NCAA tournament. Now, the question is, would we take that? Would we take another presumably top three finish in the Big Ten? Yeah, I think so. And this is all subject to change because as we're talking about this team and trying to you know, set expectations, we don't know what the deal is with Andre Curbelo, and that can change things. And hopefully he can get out there sooner rather than later. Saturday? I don't know. Probably not. It doesn't seem to be trending that way. But, you know, at least before you start Big Ten play. And even though, yes, the at Minnesota game looks tougher, you still got to feel pretty good about that one. And then Maryland at home, you know, you have a chance to really stack some wins early. And then the Michigans of the world don't look so damn tough anymore. And the Purdue's of the world look really good, but maybe not top three in the nation, but top 10. This isn't a merely good conference. And I'm really tired, to be honest, of Every year, we go through the national pundits, they, they just heap praise on the Big Ten. And I think maybe the cynic in me, having lived so close to it, looks at this and says, I mean, we're fine, but we aren't that freaking great. And I don't think the Big Ten is that freaking great. When Ohio State right now is, I think, the third or fourth team in the Las Vegas odds to win the Big Ten, EJ Liddell and a bunch of dudes, okay. I mean, if that's your third or fourth best team, then you are not a great conference. And Similarly, if this Illinois team is your third best team, I don't think that necessarily makes you a great conference. Now, the thing that can change this, though, and this might sound like I'm down on this Illinois team. Ah, 13 and 7, ho hum. Still pretty good. 20 and 10 overall. Still pretty good. And 
I guess I'd, I'd take that every year because that means you're making tournaments, right? That That is a pretty solid program. But there is the possibility that this team can figure it out. Go back to the Arizona game. Of course, three-pointers kept you in that game. They helped you withstand a lot of silly decisions and, and some of the bugaboos that we've seen from this team. And that's not always going to bail you out the shooting. But there are things that can be fixed, if or if not fixed, at least minimized. The silly turnovers and things like that, they did get better at that last year. And when they did, they went on one hell of a run. This offense is going to score a lot of points. And if they can somehow just clean up some things, they will be dangerous and have a chance to win the Big Ten. The reason I'm cautioning myself is because they say, what, well, you can't teach stupid? <laughs> or, or, and, and similarly, I don't think you can necessarily get rid of these bad habits overnight. And stupid is a strong word, but let's use the word silly. Things that a veteran team really shouldn't be doing, but when they continue to happen, can we really expect it to be cleaned up in any significant way? I'm not sure. And without Curbelo, it's difficult to ima- imagine that your ball handling is ever going to be superb. I mean, what Trent did against Arizona was phenomenal. If you ask him to do that for 20 more games, he's going to be toast by the end of the year. I don't know how his legs are under him right now. So that is, of course, the variable. But this team, even as they are presently constructed, does still have a higher ceiling than what we saw against Arizona. They do. It would require Coleman Hawkins finding some sort of role because right now he is like a lost puppy out there. He just doesn't know what to do. That's a bit alarming after what was a very promising start. DeMonte Williams is still a productive guy, and maybe not in terms of points, but you want a DeMonte Williams on your team, but you can't have those stinkers when you're playing a Purdue or a Michigan like you did against Arizona, and that was a stinker of a game for him. There's no two ways about it. And then the final variable that I'm most interested in, to be quite honest, is if a freshman can really find their way as the ninth guy in this team, because no offense to Omar Payne or BBV. They're going to get their spot minutes, but they are merely a placeholder for Kofi. There are things that Luke Goody or RJ Melendez could do that could help this team right now. I'd like to see more of it. I think that you will over the next few games with Florida A&M, was it St. Francis, Missouri, Florida A&M. I think you will see more of that over these next three games, and I'm excited for that. I'd love for one or both of these guys to be part of the rotation. Six foot seven, they can defend, they can shoot, and they can rebound. And while they make, may make the occasional mistake, what is really the difference between them and Coleman Hawkins right now? Who do you trust more? If there's a guy that we should maybe you know scale back a bit and find a way to ease him back into a role, it's Coleman Hawkins. He doesn't need to be getting starters minutes when he's not playing starter quality basketball. So in the meantime, why not give Luke Goody six or seven minutes a game or RJ Melendez give him five, six minutes a game himself? I feel like they can give something to this team that we haven't really seen on a consistent basis. So the ceiling is higher. Some of these guys that are struggling right now, they may figure things out. Maybe Omar Payne becomes a defensive stopper. Maybe BBV becomes that defensive stopper. But neither of them are going to score you hardly any points, as we've seen. I mean, Omar Payne can't finish a dunk, and BBV doesn't really have what they call touch at all. So that leaves you wanting a little bit when Kofi goes out. You know, when I say variables, you do need Kofi to be better. I I love Kofi. The Kofi jersey I have, I'm always going to love that. And he's always going to be one of my favorite Illini guys because very rarely do you get a specimen like that who's also turned out to be a remarkably skilled player. But he's got to do better than that. As a junior who was a first-team preseason All-American, you got to do better against Arizona. The lights were bright, and he wasn't quite there. Now, one thing to consider was in the press conference afterwards, I think 
Underwood said something about a bruised knee, which if not hobbling him, of course, he wouldn't have had the same bounce. And that would make sense when you consider, uh, what was it, two or maybe even three blocks that they had on him in the second half. I've When's the last time you saw Kofi get blocked? So if that is the case, then that would have an impact. And hopefully this week off would would help that. And And really, what is a light schedule? until you get to the new year. So that all, I think, is good for this team. And and they could come out guns blazing in 2022. They really they really could. And I'm holding on to that nugget. I'm holding on to that, that glimmer that we've seen, even within games like Arizona. That glimmer that, God dang, when they shoot, they are really good. And if they can just get a stop or two more, they're going to beat good teams and beat them consistently. And I do think, despite what happened against Arizona, that it's going to be hard for teams to come in here and win at the State Farm Center. I, I really do. And that's after a disappointing loss. But I don't know if you're playing a team better than Arizona this year. I, I don't want to be too hyperbolic and, and and also don't want to dismiss Purdue. But Arizona looked really good. I mean, for, for all we say about last Saturday and the mistakes that Illinois made, it's not as if every one of them was unforced. Of course, the five-second violation, that's unforced. Some of Coleman stuff, unforced. DeMonte getting a stupid technical at the worst possible time, unforced. But there were other parts of that game where Arizona made you uncomfortable because they're just damn good. I can live with that. I can live with those mistakes, I shall say. They are forced from a really good team. Are you going to play a team with that kind of talent level until Purdue comes in here on Martin Luther King Day? Or I guess Michigan. I know they're underachieving, but they still got a lot of talent. No, you aren't. So let's get off to a hot start. So when that weekend approaches, you feel like you're actually kind of playing with destiny with the Big Ten race. And I think that's still out there for them. If they were to drop an early game in the Big Ten, including at Minnesota, and I know they're playing better, kudos to Ben Johnson up there. These transfers are working out so far, but I would still be pissed off if you lose that game because eventually we need to start playing and closing like a team that did have some major expectations going into this season. And if we get to March and selection Sunday, and they are a 20 and 10 team with a 13 and seven record in the big 10. And we think, man, a few more wins would have been nice. At the very least we can say, well, everything was so disjointed at the start of the year injuries, illness, what can you expect, right? And I would live with that. But if we continue to see this inconsistency or or this disjointed kind of basketball within a 40-minute game, and it's mid-January, early February, if if we continue to see that, then the frustration will set in. But I'm optimistic it won't, and that you will still find your way to a pretty healthy number of Big Ten wins. Now, one thing I said in the last podcast, and I think this bears repeating, and I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. And I'm not some sort of COVID bro, as Clay Travis might have said. But the new variant is more infectious and probably not going to make anyone that gets, especially younger people, make them any more sick than Delta or anything before it. Okay. So that's the good news. But the fact is more people will probably be getting this. I will personally administer booster shots to every player in that Illinois locker room, if that's what it takes. I would be fine with winning a Big Ten title based on, well, you just stayed healthier than everybody and you actually completed your schedule. Now, you'd say, Carp, we completed our schedule last year. Michigan did not, and they won it. I get it. I get it. But you know that there's going to be major names in this Big Ten conference that are going to have COVID be out for a couple of weeks, and it might not run through the whole team. 
But if EJ Liddell gets it, well, that's probably going to be a loss or two extra for Ohio State. If Hunter Dickinson gets it, that's going to be a loss or two extra for Michigan. This is going to be a Big Ten that is won by probably the thinnest of margins. If Purdue, if Jaden Ivey gets it, no offense to the two bigs, but I don't trust them to not drop a couple. If Jaden Ivey or Zach Eady or Travion Williams, any one of them goes out for an extended period of time. Two weeks is a long time. Ten days is a long time. And if your schedule sets up where you have to miss three games because you got COVID, well, you want to be the team that doesn't get it. And I really hope that's the case because I'm, I'm sure testing isn't as stringent as it was before. And, and we didn't think it would have to be after everyone got vaccinated. But this thing goes on and on and on, right? And while health and safety is the primary focus, I'd be lying if I said I was not also considering the wins and losses and the impact it has on the Big Ten race. It's something to watch because if the NBA and the NFL cannot keep their house in order, and right now they are not, the Bulls with eight or nine guys out, the Browns with 15 players and their head coach out, that's pro stuff. They have protocols in place that are probably stricter than some of these college teams. It's going to happen. I just hope it doesn't happen to one of our major guys, okay? And then that might sound very, I don't know, selfish, very fanboy, meatball, sports fan type of thing. But, you know, yeah, I want to win a damn Big Ten title. And if that means that we won it because we got boosted and we had less cases on our team, so be it. Let's win a damn title. <laughs> do whatever you got to do. And this year, part of doing what you got to do is just not getting the damn COVID, as the kids call it, the damned covid it never ends, isn't it? It's just exhausting. And, uh, you know, I'm living life pretty much like, not not like it doesn't exist. I got precautions, but, you know, if I got friends that are vaccinated and so I'm not not hanging out with them, not to use a double negative there, but of course I'm going to hang out with them. It's like, Jesus, how long are we going to go with this thing? I mean, eventually there is the truth of people that would say we need to learn to live with it. But when you see perfectly healthy professional athletes having it run through their locker room and knowing that most of the guys in the NFL and the NBA, they got vaccinated, like a vast majority of them, and there's still transmission. And we haven't really even seen this Omicron thing hit us. Right now, they are flipping out in Europe. And London is just turned upside its head. And um, unfortunately, when it comes to Illinois basketball, you know, the severity of the disease, that, that's not probably anything you got to worry about, but it's just sheer frequency and transmission. Please don't get it, guys. Please don't. Okay, real quick before we get out of here, I wanted to reflect on the 2001 and 2002 basketball team. They're back in town this weekend. Sean Harrington, Corey Bradford, friends of the 200 level, and uh, they will be back along with most of the guys. I think Brian Cook might be the only major holdout from those two teams. You know, if I think back to the era of Illinois basketball that really got me invested to the, to the degree that I am now, it was 2001, and that season began, of course, really in July when they hired Bill Self at a time that you don't normally hire coaches, but, you know, Lon Kruger went pro, and somehow this Bill Self guy, who had killed it at Tulsa, I think 31-5, and five, and they made the Elite Eight, they beat North Carolina, you know, he was a hot up-and-coming coach, and yet somehow no jobs open for him, at least none that he would have taken before Illinois did. And I remember watching his introductory press conference. It was on a weekday afternoon, and I think Channel 3 covered it. It was at the Assembly Hall, and this is before I went up to Windsor Swim Club, which was my daily hangout over the summer, and immediately being, can I say, smitten. I think we were all smitten with Bill Self. The guy was cool as hell. He still is. 
and there was an it factor to him. And as much as I like Lon Kruger, I think the way that the Lon Kruger era ended, getting smoked by a Florida team that, hey, keep in mind, they made the national title game that year. Teddy Dupay, remember him? That was a really good Florida team, but you got absolutely spanked. And it felt like there was maybe a limit to what Lon Kruger could do, a lack of toughness. And I know that sounds very kind of, you know, I'm painting with a broad brush there. That team had some toughness, but not like Bill Self's teams did. And I wish I could ask Sean Harrington or Corey Bradford that, like right now, just to get clarification, do you feel like he got tougher with Bill Self? But they've each told anecdotes that almost made it seem like, yeah, I mean, we, we got tougher with Self. And there was one great uh, anecdote from Sean Harrington that he posted before that Arizona game. And this kind of illustrates the sort of swagger that coaching staff had. This was before an Illinois-Arizona game in 2001. I think it was the United Center game. And Billy Gillespie had the scout. And the way Sean told it's great. If you can go find it on his Twitter timeline, it's at SMHarrington24. He comes in, he starts writing down each of the guys' names on Arizona. So he says, okay, Jason Gardner. And usually he'd say something like, hey, great three-point shooter. You know, be sure. No. He uh, says, yeah, he just chucks up a bunch of threes, wants to pass it, and then he writes soft in capital letters on the dry erase board. And then he goes to Gilbert Arenas, and he goes to Michael Wright and Lauren Woods and Richard Jefferson and then Luke Walton. And when he gets to Luke Walton, he says, and even his dad was soft or something like that. So by the time Billy Gillespie is done just going down the list of Arizona guys, all of them were just stud basketball players, but capital letters, soft, soft, soft. And that locker room is ready to just go out there and kick ass. But if you really think about it, that team kicked ass more often than not that year. And there was just this bravado and swagger. And if they could have punched some guys, I bet they would have. Not like, you know, they never played bad boy style dirty basketball, even a Lucas Johnson. But they were pest. But they were our pest. And, and that's what made that team so likable was they were just, God dang, they were just really, really tough. I'm going to try to pull this up here and and look at the schedule and how that season shook out because I'm pretty sure there has not been a tougher schedule for an Illinois team, at least I should say non-conference. They started the year ranked eighth in the nation, and that felt about right. And I think we all felt like, well, they, they might even have a higher ceiling than that. But they were certainly a top 10 team with basically everybody coming back other than Cleotis Brown, I think, was the only guy that maybe Victor Chukadebe left the year before. You beat Maine, you beat UNLV and then the Maui Invitational, you beat sixth-ranked Maryland in the Maui Invitational by 10, and then you lost to number one Arizona by three. So that was the first battle with Arizona, completely deserving of the number one ranking. That team was stacked. Beat Texas Southern at home, then you lost to number one Duke, and this was six days later, you lost to them by a point in Greensboro. Then you won at Kansas State, Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and then number nine Illinois versus number seven Seton Hall an overtime thriller, one of my all-time favorites. You beat them 87-79. to Setting up a week later on a Saturday afternoon, it was Arizona at the United Center. And still one of my favorite Illini memories, 81-73 to to go 8-2 and on the season. And then you were number five, five days later against Missouri, and you beat them in overtime for the first time in about four years. I cannot recall a three-game stretch, Seton Hall, Arizona, Missouri, where I fell in love with the team more than I did that team. Maybe the Gonzaga-Wake Forest stretch for Illinois basketball in 0405, of course. But God dang, that three-game stretch against teams that you hated, 
Seton Hall, no beef with them. But Arizona, we already hated them. Missouri, of course we hated them. Quinn Snyder, a pretty stacked Missouri team. Um, And yeah, they completely endeared themselves to us to the point where when they lost to Texas, two days after the Bragging Rights game, a weird bit of scheduling, they lost to Texas by eight. But I think we all sort of acknowledged, what the hell? I mean, these guys are exhausted. They've given us everything we could ask for. So I, I don't think there was much shame in any of that. Beat Illinois, Chicago, and then you start the Big Ten season with wins against Minnesota, Ohio State. You lost at Iowa, so you lost an early game. You lost that one by 16, your worst loss of the year, actually. But then you beat Michigan at Northwestern, Penn State at Michigan. At Penn State, I remember distinctly watching that game, losing to the Crispin brothers. You lost that game in OT. Well, that Penn State uh, team went on to the Sweet 16. So it really wasn't a bad loss. At the time, it was a little bit disheartening, though. Northwestern, then you, this was it. Okay, paint the whole orange. February 6, 2001, number four, Michigan State, number seven, Illinois, 77 to 66. I remember feeling at that point, and this lasted for like five or six years, that we were never going to lose at home. It didn't happen. And that game was really a key contributor to this sort of level of invincibility, I felt, whenever even the best teams came into the State Farm Center, or then the Assembly Hall. You won at Purdue a few days later. You smoked them, actually. And then Wisconsin at home a week after paint the whole orange. And what a two-game home stretch that was. Buzzer beater from Harrington to Marcus Griffin. That was just phenomenal. At Indiana, uh, I think that was on a Saturday, and you beat them 67-61. to 61. I remember that game. At Ohio State was your last loss of the year. Pretty sure that would have been Scooney Penn and Michael Red. Iowa at home, you beat them at, I think, the Frank Williams game, right? 89-63. to 63. And then at Minnesota... And that was a tight game, but you closed it out well and won by eight to win your first Big Ten title since 83. You lost, actually, the Saturday of the Big Ten tournament. And I remember feeling like, wait, are we still going to get that number one seed? And having to really sweat it out on Selection Sunday, though I probably didn't have to sweat anything out. I think it was a lock. They get the one seed, no harm done. And I remember just this glow of thinking, wow, this might be my final Illini. You know, and of course... You can't really place the 0-1 team next to the final on in terms of NBA talent and, and all that. But, I mean, they had their own thing, and they were deserving in that one seed. And it did feel like, well, we can make the Final Four as long as maybe we get a break and we don't play Arizona. But I hate the fact, and I think we all knew this, it was predestined. You were going to play Arizona again. You just were. There were no two ways about it. The basketball gods had made up their mind, and sure enough. Now, that's not to say that there was not a highlight in that run, and that was beating, well, first off, beating Charlotte to just get to the Sweet 16. Legends was our home for those games, and I would get refill after refill of Diet Coke and enjoy a Legends burger, and we'd get there early and camp out in front of the projection screen, and it was a hell of an environment, and really all that year it was. The Charlotte game, making the Sweet 16, actually Channel 3 did a quick interview with me. They came to Legends, and they went around and asked fans, how are you feeling? And I think I was on for like 10 seconds that night in the newscast. And getting back to the neighborhood, and it was a beautifully warm, unseasonably warm March, what was that, March 18th, and thinking, oh my God, Sweet 16. I had never seen that. I mean, I was too young to remember the uh, flying Illini, so they did not get past the first weekend of the tournament for 12 years. So here we were, right? We made the second weekend. That Kansas game, I had gotten the stomach flu just before it, and I was recovering, and I was in the middle school band playing percussion. So this is on a Friday night, and we drive over to Danville for a band competition. 
I'm just now being able to eat solid foods again. I'm tired, but I'm, I'm not sick anymore. I'm just recovering. Do the band thing. The game was late. I want to say it was at 8 o'clock. And boy, we just steamrolled those fools. I mean, Frank just was great and made Kirk, made Kirk Heinrich look just absolutely mediocre. And then it set up the game that we thought, of course, Arizona. And uh, what to say about that? I mean, you remember it. However many fouls. I'm not even going to look up the number of fouls because it would piss me off if I did that. Not to say that team got robbed because I, I always hate to criticize officiating, but my God, it felt wrong. It felt dirty. There was a pit in my stomach as that game unfolded feeling. It's just not in the cards. And there were other factors at play. And if that sounds conspiratorial, like I'm saying the refs had their mind made up, I, I apologize for that because Illinois didn't play their sharpest game either. But it's kind of hard to when there's no flow in the game in the first place. And that game just sucked. We couldn't really hear Bill Walton, so there wasn't the salt in the wound. But, man, if you went to a Lanai board or anything after that, and I did, just as catharsis, I think, to see just how pissed off or sad other Lanai fans were. A Lanai board was one of the few places you could go back then. And, you know, just everyone sharing in their misery, and it sucked. I mean, I had a hard time kind of going to sleep that night. I, I, I hate the Friday-Sunday of the NCAA tournament because... If you lose on Sunday, the start of your week is just ruined. <laughs> like Now, one could argue if you lose on a Saturday, then your entire weekend is ruined, and I get that. But, I mean, just think back to the Loyola game. My Sunday, that Sunday sucked. I don't like Friday Sundays. I want Thursday Saturdays. And that worked out okay for the 05 team. I don't know what 89 was, but in, at least in 05, they were a Thursday-Saturday team. So I, I have this weird superstitious thing about that. Don't make me play on a Sunday. They, it never ends well. But that team and the year after that, they won another Big Ten, two in a row. Uh, they are deserving of so much recognition, and it's cool to have gotten to talk to a few of these guys that essentially, you know, I was a freshman in high school, or eighth grade, actually, for that year, freshman for 0102. that I get to talk to what were my heroes, essentially, my, my sports heroes, and the team that really turned me into an Illinois basketball super fan. The same way that, for my dad, I th- he, all, he talks about the 83-84 team a lot and, and what that meant to him. And I think the 2000-2001 team meant the same thing to me. And, of course, my dad and all his friends that remember the 88-89 team, that team meant the world to them as well. But 83-84 always held a special place. And I think similarly, while 04-05, it goes without saying, it's the best Illini team that I've been able to witness. The 2000-2001 team might always have this leg up in terms of, well, which one did I love even more? And I love the 04-05 team. How could you not? But, man, that 2000-2001 team. Because if you look at it, how many NBA guys did they really have? Brian Cook had a good career. Frank had a few years. Um, you know, But you didn't compare an NBA talent to what Arizona had, and yet you hung with them. You were as good as them pretty much that year. They were just a tiny, itsy bit better. And it's like out of all years, why can't we just get a break where one year every other team is just a little bit worse than we are and we just go win the title? I mean, you think back to 04, 05. That Illinois team, I think, would have won the title the year or two after or the year or two before. But it just so happened in 05, you had that North Carolina team. In 89, you had that red-hot Michigan team. And somebody's got to win. But I'm just saying, I would not mind winning a national championship by default just because it happens to be the weakest year for college basketball. I will take it. I want the banner. I want this monkey off of our back. Will we get that? I'm not sure. Will we get that from this team? I don't think so. 
But that's not to say that this team can't give us some fun. So that remains to be seen. Should be a fun Saturday at the State Farm Center recognizing those guys. I hope they recognize some of them individually. I hope they kind of spread it out throughout the game. And Bill Self will not be in attendance, I wouldn't think, because they have a game that night. Though it would be cool if on Friday he can make it back and see some of his guys and then fly back for Kansas's game Saturday. Because Bill Self has been back. And it has been back to hang out with these guys. And I know he thinks the world of them. And I, I would love someday for Bill Self to get a warm welcome back here because he really catapult, catapulted Illinois into the best era of basketball that we've seen. So uh, I, I think that the sour grapes are gone, right, for most of you? They are for me, at least. All right, well, this went a little bit longer than I thought. I, I thought this is going to be a shorter podcast, but... You get me going on the 0-1 team, and I'm, I'm just going to keep going. Uh, before I get out of here, i got to remind you, DPDO online at dpdo.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That is dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby, just in time for Christmas. you still got time to order from fourthandkirby.com. Vintage-inspired Illini t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hoodies at fourthandkirby.com. Also, Rector Construction online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior needs. That's rectorconstruction.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. And he can be your guy at brianismyguy.com. Hey, thank you, listeners. I appreciate it. Thank you to Lana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. We'll be back on Sunday to recap, I'm I'm hoping, an uneventful game on Saturday and then to preview bragging rights. And can we just knock the crap out of a crappy Missouri team? I use crap twice in the same sentence. Not very imaginative for a writing teacher, but let's just win by 30. I, it, it, I don't want this, eh, let's just win. Of course, let's just win. Let's win with some style. Let's really get that Bragging Rights trophy back to the oven with some style points. There's no damn reason that we shouldn't. They suck. Okay? Well, let's just please. There should be no drama in that game. And when Trevor and I do a second half podcast, Isaac's going to be in Florida. When Trevor and I do that second half podcast, I just want it to be fun. No aggravation. Have a drink. Sit back on Bragging Rights evening and have some fun. That's what's, you know what? I'm just going to make a guarantee. That's what's going to happen. They're going to kick their ass. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. All right. uh, Before we get out of here, this is Decadence. Out of your head from our latest album, Fever Dreams. Cheap plug. I know, but I hope you enjoy the song. And uh, I appreciate you guys again tuning in. We will be back this weekend. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon. It is the 200 level. Mm -hmm.